welcome to the Chirping the Cats podcast. I'm your host, David Dwork, here with you once again. And uh, I mean, look, let's just jump right into it. Um, it's been it's been a crazy, interesting, unbelievable start to the season. And, and really saying that, it's almost like in a massive understatement because, I mean, just just going through it, right? I mean, obviously the big story right now surrounding the team is Joel Quenville resigning as head coach. Um, that in and of itself is something, I mean, you know, it's, it's crazy to think about where this team has been coming from the last few years. Now they have this amazing start to the season, uh, unprecedented. And, uh, and yeah, then, then a bomb gets dropped on it because, uh, I mean, you know, I'm sure you're all familiar with the story at this point, but what coach Q was accused of doing, what, you know, it looks like happened when he was the head coach of the Chicago Blackhawks. I mean, as much as many of us really, really liked Coach Q and respected him and looked up to him, that all changed in a, in a pretty substantial way. Uh, last week, when uh, former Blackhawks prospect Kyle Beach gave his interview, which followed an in- independent investigation launched by the Chicago Blackhawks after they got sued by Beach. So anyway, we're going to get into all that a little bit later in the podcast. I had a great, great conversation earlier today with uh, David Peñota of the fourth period, one of the best NHL insiders that there is out there right now. Um, and he was nice enough to, to have a chat with me. So we're going to get into that in a little while. Um, first, before getting into that, I, I just want to touch on a few things that happened on the ice over the Panthers' first nine games that have really grabbed my attention so far this season. Um, the first of which, I, I, we've talked about it, uh, it's been talked about rather, uh, is the two-way play of Jonathan Huberto, uh, one of the most well-known ascending elite playmaking forwards out there. Uh, this season, he has maintained that mantle and he has added to it this amazing two-way effort, shot blocking his balls off. Uh, he's killing penalties very well. Um, it's, I mean, wow, right? Like, Huberto took some Barkov pills or something before the season because now all of a sudden his two-way game is going through the roof. Um, And the cool thing is it doesn't seem to be impacting his offensive skills or his prowess in that zone in any way, shape, or form. His chemistry with Sam Bennett is just, it's something. It's something that I've I've never really, I try to think of a comparison, just things that I've witnessed watching hockey in my lifetime. And and I can't remember when I've seen two players that seem to have meshed so well while never really playing together before. Um, so that's just something really cool about this season that uh, we're going to be keeping an eye on as we still have another 70 games to go. Um, but yeah, I mean, happy surprise, right? Um, next thing on my list of things that I wanted to touch on, uh, Mason Marchment. Missed the first few games of the year, got injured at the end of the preseason. Now he's starting to round back into the form that we saw him playing at last season at such a high pace, regardless whether he was on the the first line, the fourth line, whatever position he was asked to play last year, whatever he's been asked to do this year. Marchment is just playing his same brand of rough and tumble hockey thrown in with some skill. Uh, I love the physical play is such a big part of his game and it's not just like along the boards where a lot of that physical, the, the attributes of the game come into come into play, but 
between the circles as well. I mean, he's just always throwing his body around. It, the poor dude always seems to be getting hurt, but I guess that's just a, a result or a casualty of his style of play. I mean, look, if that's what it took for him to make it to the NHL and to be doing a hell of a job at the NHL level, more power to him, right? The thing is, he's not just this, you know, guy that goes out there and throws his body around and plays a rough game. He's got sneaky puck skills. He's really talented with the puck in his hands. He's good possession-wise when he takes it. Um, and he can play, basically, he plays anywhere in the Panthers' bottom six, whether wherever he's asked to go. Um, it makes a whole lot of sense. You can you can understand why they signed him to the multi-year deal they did. And uh, yeah, it's just nice to see him coming back. Um, now rookie Anton Lindell, what a start. Couldn't have asked for a better start to his NHL career. Uh, played, just seemed to be getting better and better uh, as he got games under his belt. Suffered an injury, so now uh, he, he was retroactively put on IR. We found out from... Uh, head coach Andrew Brunette earlier today, in fact, that uh, he's expected back on the ice this week. He could potentially play in their either any of their next games. They don't play for a few days from when I'm recording this, but he can. You know, he's basically eligible to play as soon as he's healthy. So there's hope that he'll be back in the next game. Um, but yeah, overall, his game was just improving on a gamely basis. It was clear, it was crystal clear that his confidence was growing at an exponential rate right before our eyes. It was really cool to watch. And uh, the main question that I have at this point uh, regarding Anton Lindell is, is what is his ceiling ultimately this season? Like, when when is he going to plateau? You know, young players, they have a tendency to doing that when they're rookies. Is uh, very, for the most part, you see a lot of streaks, uh, high highs, low lows, et cetera, et cetera. But I mean, that's the thing about Lindell is he's kind of, not your traditional rookie. He's been playing pro hockey already for a couple of years. Uh, he's already played on huge stages at the international level and and at the club level because uh, hockey in Helsinki is no joke. Uh, it's one of the huge, huge hockey hotbeds in the, in the world. Um, and so, yeah, coming to South Florida, dealing with uh, the myself and my fellow cupcakes in the media down here, um, I'm sure... Yeah, he's probably very comfortable, and it showed on the ice. So good on Anton Lindell. Uh, hopefully he'll be back soon, and we can continue to see this pretty spectacular rookie season uh, he's putting together. Uh, something else that I've noticed this year that's uh, it's kind of a continuation of last year, but it's been kicked up a notch, is how active the defensemen are uh, as a whole uh, unit. Uh, just the way that they're contributing to the offensive pressure. Uh, they've been scoring a lot of points. Uh, you can tell there's no hesitation to jump into the play, just as there's no hesitation. As soon as the Panthers get the puck, uh, they're going, they're pushing it. Uh, it's, it's just a continuation of what we've seen building the last couple of years. Um, you know, a little bit possession, they not, it's, if they need to dump it and chase it, that's fine too. Um, one thing that Mackenzie Weeder said earlier this season that was interesting was that, uh, it's both guys that are just jumping up now instead of, you know, one guy watching one guy playing back. Um, now everybody's jumping into the play. It's very much pressure, pressure hockey and hell. It's a lot of fun to watch. Um, and it just, it shows that the team as a whole has a really good understanding of what they're supposed to do because when these defensemen are acting super aggressive and jumping into plays, which we see happen all the time, we see Gustav Forsling or Brendan Montour, obviously Ekblad Weeder going down low with the puck. And yet, can you think of that many odd man rushes the Panthers have given up through nine games? Not really couple nothing obscene nothing that made you're like oh well yeah yeah no and yet 
my point is, you've got all these D that are jumping up into the play. You've got all this aggression that's going on, and yet they're not getting caught because of the communication, because everybody understands what's going on. The forwards recognize when the defensemen are jumping up, and they're covering. And it also helps that the Panthers are possessing the puck a ton, and they're not really giving it away in a vulnerable spot. So it also helps there. It's just overall, uh, this style of play that the Panthers have been building towards, uh, it, it's right on a lot of planes. And uh, this is just another example of how well it's been going. A uh, few more things to touch on here before we get to my chat with Dave Pignotta. Um Owen Tippett, right? We talked a lot about Owen Tippett leading up to the season. Uh, he was getting that spot on the second line right wing with John Huberto and Sam Bennett. Um, he had played probably the best hockey of his career at the end of last season and in that playoff series with Tampa, and he was playing great in the preseason as well. Um, so just to kind of update on that situation, I mean, he's kind of steady as we go with Owen Tippett. He's not jumping off the page for good reasons or bad reasons at this point, which, I mean, it's fine. Um, his defensive play has improved a lot, which is certainly something that's helping him stay on that line with all the talent uh, offensively from the other two guys. I mean, really, when you think about it, talk Back to my first point with Jonathan Huberto, both wingers on that line playing much improved defense. And we already knew said that uh, Sam Bennett was a great two-way player. So, yeah, I mean, it's just an all-around good line, that second line. Um, one of the things that the reasons that Tippett uh, has been playing such better defensive hockey from what I've seen is just that his positioning has been so much better. He's always moving his feet. He's always making sure that he's getting into a right spot. Does that have to do with his hockey IQ growing and him getting a better understanding of what he's supposed to be doing on the ice? Yeah, Probably. You know, these guys put in a lot of work in between games, watching film, understanding what they're supposed to be doing, talking to the coaching staff. I mean, this is their livelihood. This is what they do. So it, it makes sense that, you know, guys should be improving, and we're seeing that from Ovin Tippett. Um, his offensive game could be a little bit more consistent, sure. You know, you, you would like to see him grow a, a bit more chemistry-wise and offensive-wise on that line. Um, the more time he spends with Jonathan Huberto and Sam Bennett, who... Uh, I mean, at this point, they're basically in love and shouldn't be picking out curtains or something, right? Like these, I said it before, but like the chemistry, chemistry is just off the charts. Like, so we, you you just hope, you me, hope that uh, it starts to rub off on Owen Tippett and that line as a whole. I mean, what they, they're putting up points, their possession numbers have been great. So Owen Tippett's been a part of that. You just want to see him basically start to reap some of the benefits in the points category. And, and look, the Panthers are scoring a ton of goals. Um, and that's just another area where that shows that they could still be better. As good as they've been this year, there are still areas that, you know, the team could show a little bit of improvement. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good thing when you're 8-0-1 and at the top of the NHL standings and you're still saying, well, there's a few things that they could probably get better at. So, you know, good on the Panthers. Uh, Sam Reinhart. Uh, wasn't really sure, to be honest, what to expect. We've, you know, we've talked about it on this podcast, written articles about Sam Reinhart. Um He's coming along nicely, quietly coming along nicely. Um, yeah, it's learning a lot of new things, new players, new chemistry with players, new systems. Uh, it takes time. Um, but he's finding himself with more space and more time with the puck, which is indicative of him starting to get what's going on. He's showing up more in the defensive zone. He's very active along the boards. Um, and, and you know what helps, really, that he's been playing on the third line only because, like, he, the Panthers are fortunate that they're so deep, right? So they've got plenty of talent, whoever he's been with on that third line, whether it was Vetrano, Lindell, uh, Etu Ustarainen, um, whoever, who also, side note, has been playing very well uh, the more he's been out there. So props to, to Etu on that. Um, but back to Sam Reinhart. 
um, playing on that third line instead of playing on a first line. A first line is generally going to be faced or matched up against the opposing team's best line, whether it's their best forward line offensively to to keep your offensive line out of the ozone, whether it's their best defensive line to give you the most shit. Either way, it's going to be a tough challenge, whereas the third line probably not going to be facing as good of players. So it, you know, that gives Reinhardt a little bit more, uh, maybe a little bit more space to do his thing. I mean, he's still got seven points through nine games, and that's a great pace for a guy that's probably, at least I expect him to, to get better as the season goes on. So, um, yeah, I mean, really couldn't ask for a more uh, positive report, I'd say, from Sam Reinhart right now. And um, finally, uh, I want to touch on the man who I started thinking in my head today as Mr. Bob Tober uh, because of the amazing month of October that Sergei Bobrovsky had for the Florida Panthers. I mean, holy shit, Sergei Bobrovsky has entered the chat, and the room's name is Vezina. Uh, wow, Sergey Bobrovsky, just vintage Bob, whatever you want to call it. Six games, six wins, goals against 1.81, save percentage 944, save percentage at almost 950. And not just the amount of saves, not just the low goals he's giving up, but I mean clutch saves. He's making spectacular saves in the crucial moments of the game, keeping Florida ahead, stopping breakaways in overtime, rebound control much better, sucking a lot more into his chest. It helps that he's challenging more, which allows him to let the puck hit him in the bigger spots of his body instead of relying on his reflexes, in which you're kind of flailing out there with arms and legs, and it's a lot harder to control the rebounds. So there's just so many things that we're seeing from Bob that are so much better than we've seen the last couple of years. Um... And really, there's not much more to say about it other than uh, keep it going, Sergey. Between him and Spencer Knight, I mean, the Panthers right now, it's not even close to that to have the best goaltending tandem in the NHL. It's its really not. They're both playing amazingly. So yeah, that's the positive note. Uh, the last thing I wanted to mention. And now uh, I'm going to toss it to uh, my chat from earlier today with uh, David Peñota of the fourth period. As I mentioned, uh, we discussed the Joel Quenville's resignation from the Panthers, uh, the league's response, uh, what it means on a bigger scale, uh, and a lot of other stuff we talked about stemming from the Blackhawks scandal. Um, so yeah, without further ado, here you go. All right. Now joining me on the uh, Chirping the Cast podcast is uh, one of my favorite media personalities to follow. He is plugged in across the league. I'm sure you've already know who he is. But uh, it's first time on the pod, so thank you for joining me, uh, David Peñota from the fourth period. Uh, Dave, how are you? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, absolutely my pleasure, man. I, I wish we had a, a more positive story to talk about, but I did yeah. really want to get your take on basically what's been going on with the whole Chicago Blackhawks scandal with uh, Kyle Beach. Um, and, and the first question I really have for you is just, we've been talking to the Panthers players down here, obviously, and they've been, the guys that we've spoken to, have been really broken up about this. And I don't think it's as much to mm -hmm. do with their coach getting or resigning, you know, whatever, or uh, it's more what happened to Kyle Beach and the pain he's been going through since then. Um, what, what's kind of the sense around the league as from the players you've talked to about that? I think it's a, I think it's a combination of that. And I mean, he, he lied. Um, you know, he got, he got caught in, in a lie. Um, 
you know, when Kyle Beach released that information in, in his interview with, with Rick Westhead at TSN um, and revealed that there was a meeting that took place in Q's office prior to that May meeting, um, that's when, I mean, I did a double take. Uh, and, and I think everybody kind of did it in their own way as well to say, well, did he just, did he just say what we all think he just said? Um, and then obviously, you know, you've got the meeting with, um, with Gary Bettman shortly after and the resignation, uh, kind of proved that, or is the admission that, yeah, he knew, he knew prior to that meeting what was going on and he had, uh, a different type of responsibility to to act on this, and the fact that he continuously lied about it—I mean, it wasn't I mean, continuously in a sense that every time he was asked, he would either dodge or um, say that the May meeting was the first one. So that—that's the biggest takeaway. Uh, and I think within the Panthers' room and and across the league, there was surprise about that, and that he stuck to his story. And then at the same time, he didn't have, you know, Kyle's back. And, yeah. and even though he was a black ace, even though he was under contract with Chicago, um, but in the AHL at the time, not technically part of the, the NHL fraternity, it, um, it, it didn't really matter. So that's, that's kind of the takeaway from that is, was, was kind of twofold. I think it was the, the, the lying or stretching of the truth or whatever the hell he wants to say it was, um, coupled with what, what you know, we already know. The interesting way that it kind of developed is the timeline went on uh, on Wednesday when mm -hmm. the Panthers had a game against Boston. Hugh goes out for the morning skate. And this is only after we know the uh, investigation findings. Then 6 right. p.m., Kyle Beach gives his interview with Rick Westhead. An hour later, Hugh's behind the bench, coaching the yeah. Panthers that night. A decision that NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman actually defended today. Um, what's your take on that? Uh, it's just a bad look. Yeah. It is. Um, it, it's a bad look. You know, he made that, I think it was around 622, 623 Eastern uh, in, in the evening that that part of the interview was, was at least that portion was aired. And, and so you're looking at like less than 40 minutes until game time. So that in and of itself, you can make the argument that the team um, is, you know, focused on, the game and they're not paying attention and this, that, and the other, and perhaps media relations and everybody finds out right at seven or right before um, the league certainly would have known because they guaranteed they, I mean, they watched it. Um, they definitely were going to watch as it, as it was unveiled. Um, this, the, what, what Gary Bettman said today was the same thing that I was told from other people that are, you know, in law uh, that you take them out and it's an admission of guilt. It, or that optically. So what Gary Bettman said today was, you know, he didn't want to prejudge him prior to the meeting the next day from a legal perspective. And, and Gary Bettman is a lawyer by trade, went to school for it, um, finished with, you know, those highest honors. So did Bill Daly, the deputy commissioner. Um, from that setting, it makes sense. But again, doesn't mean we have to agree with it. Doesn't mean it looked crap optically. Um, I, I, I don't. I wouldn't have done it. I'm not a lawyer, so my mindset's right. a little bit different. But um, from an optics perspective, and with everything going on, 
I don't think he should have been behind the bench either, but I understand why he was. Um, and I mean, Gary kind of, you know, he said, look, he's been coaching for 80, 800 plus games after that incident happened. One more game isn't going to really affect the grand scope of things. But again, what happened at the time optically, that's what Gary said, not me. Not what yet. happened at the time optically, um, it, was, it, was, it was poor form. But I understand from a legal perspective um, why they chose to let him stay behind the bench that game. So what do you think this means for Joel Quenville's legacy? I mean, this is a guy who, go back a few days ago, he's a well, shoe-in for the Hall of Fame. He's won three Stanley Cups. He's on a team that might win him one or two more. And, mm-hmm. and that's all... Is it gone? Unless I wouldn't say gone yet, because I, I, I want at some point to hear from Joel Quenville. I think we all do. I think first and foremost, he needs to reach out to Kyle Beach and, and have those discussions. Whether or not Kyle wants to take those calls, I, I have no idea. Um, but then eventually he's going to have to make some kind of public remarks if he wants to keep that legacy intact. As of now, he can no longer work in the NHL. And he's under the same restrictions as Stan Bowman, Al McIsaac, John McDonough. Um, If they want to pursue another career in the NHL in any form, they will have to have a meeting, another meeting with Gary Bettman. And then that'll, you know, he'll determine whether or not that's acceptable and, and suitable. So as of now, it's, I mean, he's, uno- he's unofficially banned from the NHL. All, all of those guys are, along with another gentleman whose name escapes me that was part of the um, higher management with, with the Blackhawks at the time. So, I mean, if you're banned, even in an unofficial way, that by itself really tarnishes that reputation. Um, so, I mean, I think it's crappy right now. Uh, I, I don't know how it gets better, but... Uh, I would want to wait to see what he says, if he says anything. If he doesn't say anything, then absolutely. Um, but, you know, let, let's see if he does come out with anything in the near future. Not, not to pile on too much with the, the negative, negativity, but I, I am curious to get your thoughts on the NHL's actions after this all came out. They fined the Chicago Blackhawks $2 million, and then we saw mm-hmm. several executives were no longer employed. Comparatively, and this is something that was brought up today with Gary Bettman, to other penalties the league has imposed. And what was brought up to him specifically was the Arizona Coyotes getting dock draft picks, uh, the New Jersey Devils getting fined $3 million for cap circumvention. I mean, and I get what Bettman said, that it was different contexts, different situations. But again, that's the legal answer. And we're living in a, in a world that's a little bit different. And you talk about optics. Yep. Was that maybe something the league should have put a little bit more thought into? Well, they, they include... <clears throat> the resignations of, of the guys in Chicago's management as part of it. Um, in, in, in like, okay, we're going to find you 2 million and now you're without your GM and his top guy. That is technically some sort of punishment, even though they've resigned or were allowed to resign. Um, I don't think the 2 million was enough. Uh, I, I thought, you know, I, I, you want to set, you want to send a message and set a precedent. You're looking at what, 5 million, maybe. Uh, we haven't seen before. Something that makes it right. a double take, you know, like you said earlier. Yeah, exactly. Give them freaking $10 million. They, I mean, set, set a clear message. Um, you start dealing with these guys' bank accounts. Um, 
they're going to think twice over certain things. And sometimes you got to push them, uh, people in power and people of, 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 you know, those positions, um, owner. I mean, I, I get the fact that, and I, I believe, and I spoke to some people around, I, I believe that Rocky works wasn't aware of the situation. Um, I believe that angle of the story. Uh, and he's trying to do ever since this came out, trying to a certain extent, do the right thing. Um, although filing to have the cases dismissed, um, that that's a whole other that's a whole other discussion because that's what they're that they put in a motion to have that dismissed. I doubt it will. You had a good again, answer not, for it, but it's still in the in terms right. of optics, it's pretty right, bad. Exactly. <laughs> um, and, yeah, and and look, I, look, optics is one thing. Um, you know, you got to follow the law and, and, um, again, the guys that run this league are all lawyers, the guy that run the NHLPA, they're, they've got law degrees. They're, uh, in that they're experts in, in those fields. So do they care about optics? Not always. Um, in this case, clearly not so much, uh, not as much as they perhaps should, but at the same time, um, uh, Two million bucks to me was was way low. I was surprised by that. I know I'm not the only one, um, but I was I was surprised it wasn't a lot heavier. I, I, draft picks and all that stuff uh, that that's that I understand. I, I can I can give them that that it wasn't included because it wasn't direct, you know, hockey ops so to speak. Whatever you know in quotes. Um, even again, I don't agree with any of this, but I I thought they should have levied a much heavier financial punishment than they did. Now, do you think it's too early? Because we're still just a few days after this is all kind of breaking out. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's too early to tell what the potential long-term ramifications will be from this information and from, from this story coming to light, positive or otherwise, just the eye-opening that this has brought to the entire league and the way that a lot of players are reacting? Yeah, I mean, the human element um, was non-existent in this case. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so really. uh, uh, yeah, I think uh, I think if anything, especially in today's society, um, with the way that the world has changed, we need to be we as a society need to be a lot more cognizant of those human elements to life, not to a job, not to a game, just in general. And the lack of decency that was shown in this case amplifies that importance um and it sounds like they're trying to make sure trying to do the right thing in a sense of if anything like this were to ever happen again or has happened and is not being talked about it needs to come forward or we're creating a safe space for this to come forward and we will address it accordingly appropriately um if we're taking any positive out of this i think that's that's one of them. Um, the NHL alluded today that that they're going to, you know, they're, they, they've got their internal hotline, but they're going to work with other organizations globally to create a hotline headquarters, so to speak, for, you know, these kinds of incidences, uh, not necessarily sexual abuse, but anything um, it, within the hockey community globally. I think that's good. Um, whether that's the optics they want to put on it, I don't know. Um, I think that that is good. The message they sent to all the teams is good. And I think the players reaction has been better than I anticipated. I'll be honest, Um, especially with the call that's going to happen today 
with the NHLPA, with the membership and Don Fear to find out what the hell happened there. I mean, you know, the league said that they weren't made aware of the specific um, uh, uh, accusations until it was brought forward to them uh, this past May when the, when the court filings were made. They knew there was something going on, but they didn't know the specifics of it because the Blackhawks originally told them that they, there's nothing to this. So they said, okay, we, we're going to trust you. We have no reason to not trust you. Now they've got a crap ton of reasons. Um, and, you know, trust can only take you so far. Uh, I, so I, I, if we're talking from a positive light and spin on this, it's making sure that the human element of the game is priority number one. And I hope that stays that way. Well, Dave, the, I would be remiss if uh, I didn't have you on and talk a little Panthers with you, uh, being right. so well plugged in. Um, so just kind of from outside of South Florida, from the national perspective, it seems the Panthers are being taken really seriously. They're showing up at the top of power rankings everywhere. You've mm -hmm. covered cup winners. You've been on cup runs with teams. Like you've seen it firsthand. Are the Panthers a team built to, to play in that barn? Can they jump into that ring? Is it, are, are we, what we've seen, is it for real? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I have them coming out of the division. I had them in my predictions at the start of the season that they were going to um, win the division. I have them going to the conference final. Um, I think they're legit. I, I, I thought they were legit with the, with the assumption that Bobrovsky was going to be, you know, half as good as he can be. Yeah. Um, he's going to be know, Bob from the first two years he was here. Right. Like, yeah, getting away from that. I mean, this guy, if he could hey, – look, so Bobrovsky has a tendency. He has a crappy year, and the next year is, is outstanding. And he, he, that's when he won the Vesna, I think, both times. The year before, he was, he, had, he was horrible, and then he bounced back. He was good for a few years, and he dipped. Um, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because last year was supposed to be his rebound year. Didn't happen. I'll, I'll, I'll use the pandemic as the excuse for him. Uh, cause he's, he pushed it and delayed it another year, but look, looking at this roster, looking at the team, um, there's some really, really good elements. I mean, obviously health, notwithstanding, and that goes for any team. Um, but if they stay healthy, this is this, this group from top to bottom is as deep of a championship caliber team as there is. They've got young kids that are contributing. They've got the veterans in there. They brought in guys in the past few years that have cup experience. They bring in a veteran like Joe Thornton that is one of the most respected guys in the league and one of the funniest guys in the league, by the way, um, and just a really good dude. Um, but just, yeah, from everything, defensively, they're great. Um, they, they play well responsibly defensively, and the offense is there. So I, I really like this group. Um, I, I'm, I'm hoping to catch a bunch of their games this season, uh, quite frankly, um, from a selfish perspective, because I like the way they play. Um, but this this team definitely, for me, is a legit contender. Kind of like the Oilers, but with defense, right? And better goaltending. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, look, <laughs> what I like about these guys, I like them better than I do the Oilers. Um, I don't like the overall depth of Edmonton. And I still question the goaltending. You're giving Mike Smith a full run on a season. Um, for me, uh, I don't know, but I, I like, I like what they've got. And I'm just looking at the roster right now. Again, 
you know, Uyghur, I think, is one of the most underrated defensemen in the league. Um, Montour really liked it there. That's why he stuck around and, and signed his extension. Forsling's having a hell of a start to the season. Um, they have Raiko Gudis that can provide a little extra jam um, as well. So, look, I, I like this team. I, 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 and I'll, I'll tell you why. One of the reasons going into the season, I'll try to make it quick as well. Um, before Carter Verhage signed his deal, his extension with this team, he was so jacked about what they did last season and how his off-season training was going to go. Uh, you know, talking to him, he was, he was projecting what his numbers were going to be. Uh, and he goes, see, I think I got something going now. Wait till, wait till the season starts. Um, and I like that confidence. Yeah. I liked, I liked the swagger, the confident swagger that he, was, that he had and has. And I think that's what a lot of these guys on this team have. I think there's a confident swagger about them. You know, Sam Reinhart as well. Confident swagger about the way that these guys walked into the season and they're backing it up with their play. I like this team. Yeah, I think the talent will, you know, as you know, the talent will only take you so far, but I think like really the yep. blue that's really putting the foundation together is the guys that you talk about, Gudis, you talk about Jumbo, talk about uh, Patrick Hornquist, who was huge for the Hornquist. Room. Yep. I mean, it's these guys that are teaching these talented young kids. Like this is what you can take your talent and this is what you can do it with. And I think like, that's what we're seeing on the ice right now. And that's, what's getting them through this ridiculously hard week. And that's something that yep. they were talking about today is just their family that it, it, Mackenzie Weger said, it showed us how close we are is what he said. Mm -hmm. to me. Well, yeah. And, and again, I mean, this goes back to, you know, you've got a father figure in, in, in your head coach that everybody looks up to and respects and would always believe that they that he would have their back. And, you know, before Kyle Beach's interview was public, um, everybody was kind of, and myself included, was I was trying to give Q the benefit of the doubt. Just say, okay, well, they had that meeting. McDonough was supposed to handle it. He didn't. They're in the middle of a cup run. Can I give them the benefit of the doubt that they thought that the president of the team was going to handle this accordingly? I do, which is why... I mean, Kevin Sheveldayoff got off because it was proven and believed by Gary Bettman that that's exactly the case. But because Q met earlier and lied about it, I think that took everybody back, uh, especially on that team. And that broken trust um, affected these guys quite a bit. And it would have affected me too. It affected me in a, in, in a certain way. And I mean, I've never hung out with the guy just other than post-game stuff. Um, so I get it. I get it. But you know, these, these kinds of, these kinds of things, you mentioned family, it brings teams closer together. And when you've got this much talent and when you're rolling the way that you're rolling here, as, as, as absolutely crappy of a situation, this is, um, this, this is the kind of moment that puts, brings teams even closer together. And I think from a cup pursuit perspective, um, that's some pretty solid ammunition. That's an amazingly positive way to, to wrap up our chat, Dave. Um, <laughs> so I, again, I want to yeah. thank you so much for taking some time and uh, just kind of providing some insight and uh, your knowledge here. Anybody listening you can get Dave on the, on Twitter at the fourth period where he's constantly breaking stories and updating you on what's going on around the league. You can subscribe to the fourth period magazine. Uh, 
I know Dave, you have a weekly show on uh, Sirius NHL Network Radio as well. Saturdays at 10 a.m., I believe. 11 to 1. 11 to 1. Yeah. Right, I was off by an hour. Yeah. Uh, the it. Hot Stove Show, right? <laughs> yes, sir. Um, and yeah, am I missing anything? Is there anywhere else people can find you? No, uh, just that. Um, yeah, on, on Twitter, on Instagram, all that uh, social media stuff. And uh, hopefully, hopefully at the rink soon, because I plan on coming out, like I said, to a few games. So um it'd be it'd be good to uh to see these boys in action at home i'll catch a few of their away games um but uh to see them at home uh is on the docket so at some point you'll see me in sunrise this season well good there's a golf tea and a cold beer waiting for you as well when uh, when you make it down here (laughs) perfect overdue but yes i'll take it yeah absolutely all right well thank you so much dave and uh hopefully we'll talk again on the pod soon but be well my friend you got it you too thanks for having me all right well that's going to do it for episode 43 of the Chirping the Cats podcast. Uh, again, I, w- I want to say thank you, a big thank you to David Pinota for taking some time to join the podcast. Um, please make sure to follow him on Twitter at The Fourth Period. Uh, check out his magazine, uh, The Fourth Period magazine. Uh, follow his work. Uh, it's pretty spectacular. And, uh, you know, as I said, he's one of the best N- NHL insiders out there. Um, and yeah, as for me, if you're a fan of my work, and as I said last time, I assume you must be because you're listening right now. Uh, you can find all of my written Panthers coverage on local10.com uh, or the Local 10 app as well, available from all your favorite app stores. And uh, if you don't already, please give me a follow on Twitter at David Dwork uh, for all my daily coverage of the Panthers. There's a lot of it right now from practices, games, everything going on. Uh, lots of Panther stuff as we're just really getting started on what very well could be the best season in franchise history. Uh, also, please hit the subscribe button on this podcast, Chirping the Cats. Leave a good rating uh, if you're so inclined, and maybe even a comment, you know, if you like what you're hearing. Or, you know, if you don't, either way, um, all feedback is encouraged. Uh, just, you know, if it's not nice, just be polite, because, you know, we all have feelings. Uh, so, yeah, until next time, everybody, please take care uh, of yourselves. Please take care of each other. Uh, stay safe, be kind, and, of course, stay cool. <laughs>